Beth has just come in to preach uh, to us, um, so I'm just going to pray for her before she starts. <laughs> yeah, Lord, thank you for Beth, and thank you for this time together, and for the worship, and just this space that we can come to as women, and uh, just be really blessed. Um, I just really pray that you will give Beth uh, confidence and courage right now to speak your word. Um, yeah, let what she needs to say come out really clearly and take away any nervousness um, and, yeah, just be with her and I just pray that um, she'll really speak to people tonight and people can really hear your word through her preaching, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much. Good evening. It's lovely to see you all. Um, yeah, so my name's Beth. I'm part of the City West crew. Um, and if it's your first time or, what did it now be, seventh, eighth time, you're really, really welcome. I know, I can't believe it. It'll be a year in June, right, since we launched. How exciting is that? Um, so before we dive in to the parable that um, I really felt led to, um, I want us just to take a minute and to talk about rescues. Now, I prepped this preach before the horror of the earthquake in Turkey, um, but possibly like yourselves, I've been watching the news and just celebrating each time someone's rescued from that rubble. Just babies, like a woman gave birth in the rubble and her baby and her were rescued. Like, isn't that incredible? There's, there's something within us, isn't there? It's our human nature where we rejoice over a good rescue, whether it's fictional or, or not. And um, I was pondering on this. And uh, do you remember when those Chilean miners were rescued. Now, in my mind, that was just a few years ago. I was shocked when Google told me it was 2010, which is more than a few years. Um, but 33, I mean, some of you might, I don't know, you were alive, Adelaide, right? But you were little. Okay, so um, 33 miners were going about their normal everyday job in Chile. And suddenly there was this massive explosion, unexpected, and they were trapped 700 metres underground. They had enough water and food for three days and no one on the outside world knew if they were still alive until day 17 when the drill that finally got through to them, I think they stuck like a post-it note to it or something, and the post-it note finally managed to get up. They tried so many times. Finally got up to say, all 33 of us are well can you imagine? I can remember seeing it on the news and thinking, oh my goodness. And, um, but it took an, an incredible 69 days to get them out. 69 days. And uh, what I hadn't realised is that one of the men in there, Jose, um, was a Christian. And I'm going to read you what he, what he said. They knew I was a Christian, the men, his, his, his colleagues. They said, Don Jose, you are the man to lead us in prayer. I said, no problem, but we Christians pray to a living God. If we are going to pray, we'll do it in the way I tell you to. We came to the conclusion that although we had lost everything, we hadn't lost the possibility of prayer. There was no human way out. We had to dedicate ourselves to prayer. So we formed a circle. These guys weren't Christians, okay? We formed a circle and we started to pray. They prayed day and night, okay? Day and night. And they saw miracles starting to happen. I mean, a... They were still alive day four. That was a miracle. You know, but these miracles started to happen. But they also knew the mine could collapse at any moment. 
And they kept praying. Every time they panicked, they would pray. And um, at one point, I don't know which day this was, but at one point he basically had been leading them in prayer for so long, he did an appeal and said to them, look, you've been praying to the living God and uh, you've been seeing his work, so who wants to follow him? 22 of those miners gave their life to Jesus in that mine, not knowing if they'd get out. And I can remember seeing them as they came out of the mines. They all had sunglasses on, didn't they? Because they'd been underground for so long that the doctors were worried how their eyes would react to the daylight. And I can just remember that sense of victory, right? We love a rescue. And um, the parable that I'm going to be speaking to us on today is admittedly my favourite, but that's not why I'm speaking on it, although it is a treat. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. So if you'd like to turn to it, please do. I'm going to read it anyway, so don't worry if you haven't got it. But it's Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And it's, it's a rescue that's born out of great love. It's well known. But let's approach it with fresh eyes. It's not surrounded by fanfare. It didn't reach social media. But its truth has echoed through history. So let's read it together. I'm going to kind of interject it with cultural kind of context. Um, I've, I've just learned so much more as I've studied it, and it's been really exciting. So I'm excited to be able to pass that on. So verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that was a really normal question for um, Jews to be asking the rabbis. Um, It wasn't just Jesus kind of loitering around as a rabbi. There were lots of different rabbis, and really normal to ask that question. Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you read it? A.K.A., what do you understand? Is it head or heart knowledge? Like, where are we going with this? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. He nailed it. That was the law. That was like an, a 10 out of 10 answer. You've cr- answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So it's head knowledge. It hasn't quite made its way to his heart yet. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, just to give context there, that was a journey of 17 miles. It was desert. It was rocky. There were caves. It was hot. And Jerusalem and Jericho were both wealthy cities. So you'd only be traveling if you were going to buy something, so you had money on you, or if you'd bought something, so you had something valuable with you. You wouldn't just go for a jolly I wouldn't just walk to Deerham. You know, you go in there for a reason, right? So it was a robber's paradise because there were places to hide and there were people with something you would want on that road. So this man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. So he wasn't just a bit beaten. He was severely beaten. He looked dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. After all, this man looked dead, and by the law of the Torah, if the priest or his shadow had touched the man, he would be deemed unclean and unable to perform his priestly duties. I didn't realize that bit about the shadow. That's why he crossed the road, just to really steer clear, okay? So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed him by on the other side. 
So both the priest and the Levite consider their duties to be more important than their faith in action. Yeah? We're getting to the really good bit. But, it's always good when there's a but in a story like this, but a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, as Jesus is sharing this story, that would have undoubtedly led to a horrified gasp of the people around him. Samaritans were hated by the Jews and vice versa. They had a 400-year history of deep hatred and violence. And actually, if you just go back into Luke 9, you'll see that James and John had urged Jesus to call down fire on uh, inhospitable Samaritans. They didn't like them at all. And here Jesus is with the hero of his story as, as a Samaritan. So the Samaritan went to him, bandaged his wounds, and poured oil and wine on. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. This was messy work. This man was bleeding heavily. His blood would have been on the Samaritan. He would have looked guilty. Everyone would have assumed the Samaritan had beaten the Jewish man up, right? So he's putting his reputation on the line. But love drives him to do that. Love is driving him to get messy, driving him to rescue this man, driving him to put his reputation and his life on the line because everyone's going to assume the worst. The next day, he took out two denarii. A denarii was a day's wage. It's quite a lot of money. Two days' worth would have been enough to keep the man in the inn for about three weeks. And he gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for extra, any extra expense you may have. That's, that points to long-term care, doesn't it? He didn't just want it for the moment. It wasn't like a moment of glory of helping this man. He wasn't like trying to take a selfie with the innkeeper. He was like investing in this guy. He was wanting to make sure his future well-being was looked after. Jesus says, which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law said, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus says, go and do likewise. He commissions this man. It's powerful, isn't it? Isn't it special? Isn't it powerful? I mean, it's a parable that I'm sure you've all heard, right, at school, at church, in, in all the different areas that we've been. And it, it's a parable that lends itself to us thinking, well, who do we identify with? And I don't know about you, but in different seasons of life, I think I can identify with different characters. But before we do that, let's just take a step back and consider this. So we've got a Samaritan who's despised, like deeply, deeply hated by the Jewish community. He stops to rescue a broken man. A man who looks dead. He risks his own reputation and life by stopping to help this man. And he's driven by love. He's present and he's committed to that man long term. And he puts this man's well-being far above his own. Does that, does that remind you of anyone who you might know? Right? Isn't that our Jesus? Isn't that Emmanuel, God with us? Isn't that what he does for us? So, if the Samaritan is symbolic of Jesus in this parable, we must be that broken man, right? We are the ones who are dead in our sin, broken, helpless, and in desperate need of the biggest rescue ever. 
Romans 5 says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right? Whilst you were still in that mess, still in that brokenness, Christ died for you. He didn't wait for you to be good enough. You didn't have to fulfill some moral law or obligation. You know, he wasn't like smouting, looking at the guy going, right, once you can, you know, start to help yourself, then I'll step in. Once you've said sorry for that thing you did yesterday, then I'm going to help you. He just was in, all in, committed. We can't save ourselves, can we? <laughs> right? We can't get ourselves out of the mess of sin. And I'm there too. But here, love in action, Jesus steps into our pit, puts his reputation and life on the line, and gives us hope and a second chance of living, of truly living with him. And so when we know our rescue, we can't help but stop for the one in front of us. When we know where we've been brought from, we're driven by that love forwards, right? It's not about us doing it because we should. We do it because we can't do anything but do it. But to be honest, it's easy to become dull to what Jesus has done for us. I am... I was brought up in church. I was in church before I was born. I've <clears throat> always known about Jesus, and it's a, a privilege, an absolute privilege, to have been brought up that way. But it does mean that I've heard about Jesus a lot, which is, again, a very good thing. But I can take it for granted. I can take what he's done for me for granted, because I've heard it. And so my responsibility and our responsibility is to remind ourselves daily of what he's done for us, of the rescue, of the pit we've been in. There's no hierarchy, is there? We were all in that pit, right? And then to be able to sit in that, not in guilt, not in condemnation, but knowing that we are loved and we are brought at a price. Ephesians 6 tells us that our armour in God includes the shoes of peace. Our feet are fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Don't we need peace? Isn't this world turbulent? There's so many pressures and stresses and difficulties and, oh my goodness, the mind just boggles. Don't we need that peace of knowing whose we are and who we are? Of knowing that we're secure and we're held? Do you do that? Do you remind yourself of whose you are and who you are? I, um, I was listening to a podcast it was, it was like three Christian ladies. It sounded like they were chatting around the kitchen table and we all just got to listen in on it. It was really, it was really good. And um, they were talking about their children and raising their children. And um, don't switch off if you haven't got kids because this is applicable across the board, okay? So they were talking about their children and they were talking about wanting to get truth into their kids. And isn't it true for all of us that the world we step out into wants to tell us a hundred times who we are, who we aren't, what we deserve, what we don't. And a lot of the time, it's very different to what Jesus would say. And um, this one particular lady, 
I really like her. She's really bold. Her name's Priscilla Shearer. She's hilarious. She's brilliant with the gospel. Talked about how she wrote a statement of faith that she would read over her children every day before they went out of the door to school. <coughs> and I thought, I like that. I'm going to do that for my children. So I've got um, Reuben and Grace. They're 11 and 8. And I wrote this statement of faith that I read or say over them most days, hand on heart. Some days the mornings are just mad. But I try and get a snippet somewhere in in the day. Sometimes it's out of walking to school. And they've got to the point now where I'll go, Reuben, Grace, they go, yeah, yeah. I'm like, just come. And they go, oh, mum. And the eyes roll. And I'm like, eyes on me, eyes on me. And um, they'll let me say it. They stay there. Um, But they now finish my sentences. They know it. And when I'm having a struggle, they say it back to me. If I'm having a hard day, they go, but mum, remember? I'm like, yes, it's there. Right, it's in them. And as I've said it out loud to them, I hear it for myself. Right? So, yes, I'm saying it over my children, but I hear it for myself. I'm, I'm going to share what it is with you so you've got a bit of a context of what I'm talking about. But um, this is just what I've used scripture. It's not the only way to do it, it's just the way that I felt led to do it for them. So it says, Because of Jesus' victory on the cross, you, Reuben and Grace, insert your own name, a love beyond measure, children of the King. The Lord God Almighty promises to personally go before you today in everything you do. He will not be late and he will not sleep. So don't believe any fear, for the Lord your God is with you everywhere you go. You are his masterpiece. He knit you together. You are fearfully and wonderfully made with no mistakes. Again, to repeat that bit to me, with no mistakes. Today, with the Holy Spirit's help, you will love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your heart, and with all your mind. The overflow of that will be seen in your love and kindness towards those around you today. The Lord has good plans for you. No weapon formed against you will succeed, for you are securely held in his victorious right hand because you are a loved beyond measure child of the King. And you know, they straighten their shoulders a bit, and I straighten my shoulders a bit, because we know whose we are, right? And some days there's just enough time before I whiz out the door to go to work to go, you're a love beyond measure, child of the king. And they go, you are too. And we run out the door because that's what some mornings are like, right? But it's got into my soul, it's got into their soul. And it's one of the ways I remind myself who I am in him, ready for the day. And that confidence just helps me to stand even when life's really tough, especially when life's really tough. And, you know, going back to, back to our parable, showing mercy is evidence for having received mercy. Right? When we've been in that pit, we can help others. And we don't, we don't stop just because it, it looks good or for our social media. I'd question whether we're truly stopping, if that's what we're doing it for. Right? We stop because Jesus stopped for us. I like this, this quote I found in, in um, a book by a guy called Bob Goff. said, faith isn't about knowing the right stuff or obedience. It's more costly than that. It's more precious. It involves being present and making a sacrifice. Loving others how Christ loves us is messy. And it is, isn't it? But isn't it worth it? Because he did it for us.
I wonder if, um, and I hope you have, when you've been in the pit of life, if you've ever had anyone in there with you, anyone who's chosen to stand with you in that pit. I um, thought about this one time that really stands out to me um, when my husband Jamie was, was really poorly with depression. Uh, Grace was six months old. Reuben was a lovely and lively toddler. And life was hard. It was, it was really hard. And it was no one's fault. It was just really full on. But I, it was the loneliest season I've ever walked in. And, um, yeah, it was, just, it was just hard. And I can't even remember how it really happened, but I had two friends who lived within walking distance from my house. They weren't close, close. So like it was like a half an hour walk, but the, we would walk. And I remember them saying to me one day, Beth, we can see this is hard, and we're going to meet up with you every Tuesday morning for tea and cake. They got into that pit with me. They gave up their morning to be there with me, with their young children too. So we'd meet at a cafe, and we'd have tea and cake, and it was a highlight of my week. And we didn't talk about me necessarily all the time. I didn't want to talk about me. It was lovely to hear about other people or just enjoy being. But every week, they were in the pit with me. And it didn't matter how I turned up. It didn't matter if I was together or not. It just didn't matter. And sometimes there'd be a food parcel left on my doorstep from one of them at another point in the week. But they were really, really with me. And it made all the difference. I, um, I, don't, I hope you've had that experience too. I hope you've had people really standing with you in a pit. You can't always make the situation better, can you? But you can love that person in it and be Jesus to them in it because he's been that to us. So we stop because we've been stopped for. We love because we are loved. Because Jesus, the ultimate rescue, rescuer, stopped for us when we were at our most vulnerable and helpless. Why? Because you're a loved beyond measure child of the king, daughter of the king, with his crown on your head. The Bible says that his love for us is as far as the east is from the west. That point never meets. That just keeps going and going. And he's able and he welcomes you right now to realign yourself in that truth of who you are. And we're going to have that time. Part of, part of the beauty of these evenings is we now have a bit of time just to respond. And um, we don't have to rush off. And usually there are some questions that go up, but I haven't done any questions this time because I just felt really led to do things a bit differently. Um, you'll see on your table there are some verses. Maybe you want to take this moment to write a statement of faith that you can say over yourself. You don't have to, but it's there if you want to. There's no right or wrong way to do it, right? You might have other verses that you like to. The Bible's full of good verses, so dig deep. It's fine, okay? Um, but we're going to listen to a song, um, You Say by Lauren Daigle. And it's just time for personal reflection, prayer, writing, whatever you really want to do. Grab a drink. And then at the end of that song, we're going to have 10 minutes of just chatting to the person next to you. Not necessarily table discussion. It can be, but it can be whatever is needed. Maybe you'd like someone to pray with you. If you don't know Jesus and you're thinking, I want, I want, I need that rescue. I want 
your Jesus to be my Jesus, we would love to pray with you. But let's take this time just to reflect and um, to pray. And then Sarah and Julia are going to lead us in a time of worship. But we don't need to rush. So Ed's going to play the song and we're going to have some time. Thank you for listening. <laughs>